Good evening, everyone. Well, my friends, tomorrow morning the church had better be full for this solemnity. And that's why we offer the evening Mass. And then tomorrow, my friends, um, as we celebrate the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, um, we can look at the scriptures. And as I told you, during the Advent season, uh, we look back about the future. We look to see. So we have the story of Genesis. And in Genesis, uh, we, uh, when we read the whole of Genesis, we understand that uh, the garden uh, was where Adam and Eve were placed, our ancestors, our human parents. And they walked with God. And he came in the mid-afternoon breeze and walked with them. You would think that would be enough, but it wasn't. And we are told what they would do. They would disbelieve. They would come to second-guess God. And they made it worse. They wouldn't even take responsibility. God asks, what have you done? Well, the woman you gave me, she, she made me do this. And then she learns from the man, oh, well, the, the creature you put in the garden with us, he, he made me do this. He told me to do this. And of course, then God looks at Satan. Satan says, I just simply suggested something to them. And my friends, I present it almost in a humorous ray because without the humor, it becomes upsetting because that by right belongs to us, that garden. It was for us. And they gave it away. They lost it. I want to walk in the garden in the midsummer's breeze. But they gave it away. So God, out of great love, devised one of the greatest plans ever. And as this gospel tells us, nothing is impossible for him. So he devises a plan, a great plan. Dramic. I mean, just filled with drama. And from it will come the greatest love story ever told about God or his people and the lens to which he would go. So that is why we hear this account. Because of our ancestors who disbelieved and then would not take responsibility for what they had done. And we're told in the second reading, you were predestined for this. This, it, everything I just said, the second reading tells you, this, yes, it belongs to you. He chose you. So then we look to see what did he do? How was he going to do this? And this is where the story begins with the Immaculate Conception. And I have an icon, and the icon, in the past I've learned my lesson. I'd walk around and tell me, who is this? That's Mary, and that's Jesus. No, that's Saint Anne, the mother of Mary, and that's Mary. And iconography, when they usually display the baby, like a baby, like baby Mary or baby Jesus, it's a little human, because <laughs> they're perfect. So instead of like a baby, it, 
people get confused because it looks like a, a little person, just a little human person, but it's actually Mary. Because it gets confusing because the story of Luke is about the Annunciation, about the conception, the incarnation of Christ. So people think the Immaculate Conception is about Jesus. While everything is about Jesus, <laughs> this is about Mary. So we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And this solemnity allows me to discuss the basics about Mary and about what the church and the scriptures tell us about her. Some you already know, and some of this information may be new to some of you. So I ask that you open your hearts to the story of the woman who was visited by an archangel and told that she would become the mother of the Son of God. And remember, Mary is probably 14. And she is gathering water for her family, not far from where they live. And an angel comes and begins to speak to her. The beginning of the love story. We begin because Mary has a special, Mary's birth is very, very special and unique. Mary, we believe, was born without the stain of original sin. That is what we mean by the immaculate, clean, without stain. In the church, this is why we refer to it as the immaculate conception. In Luke's gospel, the archangel Gabriel comes to Mary and greets her. And he said, Hail full of grace. We are told who he's talking to, but his address to her first is by a particular type of greeting. And my friends, the, in some of the translations, it says, hail favored one. And I do not know that is the wrong interpretation because it misses something great. And the Greek word that is used in the Greek is the closest to the Aramaic, a language that Mary would have spoke. And that Greek word is kerikatomene, hail, full of grace. He uses it almost as her name. He knows her name because he will say it, but he uses this word, this phrase, on her. And it is rich in meaning. It denotes Mary receiving a great gift of grace from God in her life. The kind of grace, and this grace is the kind that brings about salvation and about redemption. And the thing about this word, it, it's, uh, we in, honor, in English it would be known as a past perfect participle. It, it's understood in the past tense, moving into the present. So what he's saying is, even before he arrives to speak to her, she was already full of grace. My friends, there's a similar, there's a version of this word that is used by St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. There, God's grace is described as transforming the soul, bringing about redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is not a coincidence. This is deliberate by Paul. 
So when the angel says to Mary, Kirikatomene, hail, full of grace. He is announcing to Mary that she has this within her. Another interesting thing about this particular Greek word, full of grace, is that it describes, as I said, an action that begins in the past and continues into the future. So Mary is hearing that she already has this life of grace within her, even before the archangel has approached her. And we can know that this title, Full of Grace, is given to her like a name. Notice that the angel does not say, Hail Mary, but addresses Mary, Kirikotomene. Something profound about her very being, her soul, that is full of grace. And when it's full of grace, it can have no bad thing in it because it's full of grace. So in the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, what we learn is that Mary is conceived full of grace in her mother's womb, and she remained faithful to that grace all of her life. This offers us a biblical support, noting that Mary already had this life of grace within her and the natural questions would be then, why do we believe that Mary was conceived this way? And does it take away from the Messiah, Christ, his work of salvation? Because she is born like we are. She's a creature like us. Doesn't Mary need to be saved like the rest of creation? And the answer to that is yes, she does. And here's the absolute craziness of love of God. She receives this gift in anticipation of what her son is going to do. Yeah, great thinkers of the church struggle with this also. Because they said, everybody needs the Messiah, even Mary. So how can this be? God gave her the fullness of grace at the moment of her conception. So she is completely dependent upon God, just as the rest of us are. Just as she received salvation at the moment of her conception. Why would God do this? Why would God make Mary conceived full of grace? It wasn't just for her. This great gift given to Mary for her particular role as the disciple, being the mother of the Son of God, was for us. In the way that the original Eve threw everything away, Mary says yes, so that everything can come back. It is fitting that if Mary is going to be the mother of the Son of God himself, it's appropriate that she should be conceived full of grace to be that temple, the holy temple. Remember, Paul will eventually say that in baptism, each one of us become like a temple. 
Mary actually physically has God within her. And Revelation tells us nothing, nothing stained can come near. So she must be full of grace in order to be the son, have the son of God. Become the house of the son of God. So you can see that this doctrine isn't there to highlight or emphasize Mary. It really doesn't. Rather, everything we as Catholics believe about Mary is meant to turn our attention to Jesus so that we can love him more and understand him more. Mary is immaculately conceived, not so much because of who she is in herself, but more because of who she carried in her womb. For she is carrying the very Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And here's a little something for you. If you had the chance, the ability to create your own mother, wouldn't you do the best job you could do? Wouldn't you make her perfect? Guess what? Jesus can. <laughs> I'm putting it this way because this, these are difficult concepts to understand, so I'm trying to present it to you in this very practical way so that you come to understand the magnificence in it, even though it's mind-boggling to us. And my friend, that this season of Advent continues, I encourage all of you to look for all the times and all the ways that the Lord intervenes in your own life. What are the messages, external and internal, that you receive from God, or perhaps from one of his angels, that call you to journey into a deeper relationship with him? I pray that your hearts will be open to read Jesus, to receive it, and to understand this great story of love. And my friends, there's even more. This singular privilege given to Mary so that she could do this for us. She didn't do it for herself. She didn't understand completely. But what she, when she said, yes, let it be done to me according to what you said, Unlike the disbelief of our ancestor, Adam and Eve, we don't believe. We believe the snake and what he said. You see? And my friends, there's another thing. Do you remember, um, do you remember when Moses approaches the burning bush what, and he says, what, what is your name? Do you remember what, what God said? What did he say? I am. In Mary's language, in the Jew remember the Jewish people do not say his name. They refer to him as Adonai, Yahweh. They also refer to him simply as Lord. So now think again what Gabriel said. Mary, the Lord is with you. But how would she have understood it? I am. 
with you. It almost implies that it wasn't the angel speaking, but God himself speaking to her. Mary, I am is with you. Meaning, I will be with you in this. Her yes over and over and over again. She becomes the greatest disciple of her son. And this is the main reason why the church holds her in such high esteem because she did not disbelieve ever. She only said yes over and over and over. Let it be done according to your will. 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 She stood and watched her son be executed and tortured. If anyone had reason to scream to heaven, to God, it was her who said yes over and over again. Enough. But she doesn't. She says the same thing she said at the beginning. Let it be done according to your will. The Immaculate Conception, so difficult for humans to understand, and yet nothing is impossible for God. He devised the greatest plan ever. To return us back to him, that we may walk again with him in that garden. Our ancestors who disobeyed and would not take blame, Mary would believe and take responsibility. And then the greatest act of all, the very Son of God would come as expiation for our sins. He would take the sins upon himself. He who was not sin was made to understand it. He took the blame and made reparation, allowing us not to be just forgiven, but to return as his sons and daughters to our rightful place that was lost so long.